0: All right, we got a lot of plot in this one. This was nothing but plot. It was Klingons. There was the mysterious mystery planet of mystery. There was Stemet suffering. There was. That was kind of a D-plot. This is a multi-layered episode. So many layers. <laughs> so many layers we might have to just talk about them one at a time. <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> uh, we didn't. We didn't get a cold open again. Is that just going to be the new normal? I guess so. Do we not get cold opens anymore? We have a
1: lot of story to tell and there is no time to waste. I don't know. I like the cold open, though, so... I do. I am going to miss it. And we had to recap all of the uh, Klingon plot. I don't know. What was better for you, the Klingon plot or the Crazy Planet plot?
0: Ugh. The opening battle scene? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, let's start there, then. So, Uh, enter the Discovery. So we open on what should have been the cold open. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, A ship is under attack by Klingons. They call for help. The Discovery answers, because that's what they do. This looked like the Shenzhou-style
1: ship they were protecting in this case. Yeah. But they were getting beat up by a lot of birds of prey. I yep. think those were the birds of prey.
0: It was a little bit of everything, actually. Oh, yeah, that's right. They had some destroyers yeah. out there. They were causing trouble. Klingons always have just like an infinite number of ships around.
1: It was fun, though. The Klingons were using some, like, cloaking tactics, though. Yeah, I there noticed was, that. There was a cool uh, moment where one cloaked, or they all cloaked, uh-huh. so it's really mysterious. Uh-huh. One came out, did a strafing run. The Discovery went to go protect against that strafing right. run and then got bombarded itself from another decloak one. <laughs> Very cool. We don't get to see much uh,
0: dog fighting like that in Star Trek. We don't. And also because, I mean, cloaking traditionally has been expensive to show. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> so you show it, you know, once when the Romulans arrive or whatever, and then once uh, when they leave. Yeah, yeah. But this time it's like
1: mid-battle and actually jumping ahead. It looks like we're going to get more of that in the next episode, too. So That's I, true. All the space combat. I'm enjoying it. I'm, I'm a Star Wars fan just as much as Star Trek, and I enjoy this
0: stuff. I was worried. Uh-oh. I was worried during this scene because I kept thinking... This is a great battle scene. Like, it's fun. We're getting ships flying around. There's like eight ships. The captain's getting angry. Yeah. Lorca's never happy. He's standing. Yeah, like he He's back to standing. This is not
1: Picard <laughs> sitting back in his lounge chair.
0: Nope. nope. Um, and so I kept thinking, man, this looks expensive. What's the rest of the episode going to be like? Is it going to be like all takes place in the ready room or, or what? And that didn't happen. No, this actually seemed like a pretty expensive episode,
1: given that about half of it was yeah. uh, on a Klingon ship, and the other half was on was a on, CGI planet. It
0: was on uh, Avatar Light. Yeah,
1: what is the name of that planet? Pandora? Oh, gosh, it was Pandora. It was kind of Pandora. They were on Pandora. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yep. Uh,
0: so the other ship gets destroyed, despite Discovery's best efforts.
1: Right, they decided they were actually outnumbered and were trying to get away, but just didn't manage. Okay. did yeah.
0: Where do we go from here? Uh, to the D-plot. Uh, Stemitz is looking pained.
1: We finally got we got a shot of the machine injecting mm-hmm. him, it, and it didn't look good to me.
0: Uh, I'm not sure how I feel about it. It didn't like inject like way into his arm, which I was okay with because mm-hmm. that would have freaked me out a little, but he's definitely a cyborg. He is a cyborg now. yeah, that's true. I mean, in all fairness, they have a lot of cyborgs in this version of Star Trek. <laughs> that's true. They do. Uh-huh. Yeah, we've had at least two bridge officers, yeah, yeah, yeah. Kayla and whatever the gray
1: alien is. not alien person we don't know yet waiting for that story
0: it's going to be good right eventually season 3 probably (laughs) (laughs) Um, and so I guess what we've discovered from this in in the little uh, conversation between uh, Lorca and the Admiral is all the Klingons have cloaking devices now
1: Yeah, and obviously it poses a big problem, Yeah, and we need to do something about it. So we know, as big Star Trek nerds, that they don't solve that problem, at least even in Picard's time, because Mm -hmm. Data's trying to create networks to capture cloaked Uh ships. It's just not working. tachyons and stuff? Yeah. Um,
0: And what I kind of uh, assume from this is that it's kind of an arms race, right? Like, somebody comes up with a cloaking device, somebody comes up with a way to detect it, Mm -hmm. and so we've just been having that all the way up into the next generation. And our arms this time
1: is a planet a planet that we've discovered is in harmonic resonance with itself it's always playing music uh-huh and it has a tower of glass that we're really interested in <laughs> because it looks like a transmitter and through star trek logic we can use that to detect klingons and end the war we can use it like a tachyon beam uh to detect cloak chips all you have to do is send down an away team uh-huh have them spend what two days on it tops yeah. tops and they'll have this thing
0: figured out. Because all they have to do is plug their transmitter into the big organic crystal antenna thingy. Which it
1: seemed like they actually already had a converter for, so this was all well-prepared and everything. Yep. Except, uh (laughs) uh-oh, turns out there's inhabitants on this planet. They meet some non-corporeal sparkle aliens. We've gotten non-corporeal aliens before. Mm Mm-hmm but
0: it's always just been one per episode and just that one scene toward toward the end. (laughs) Um, And I like the effect uh, on the aliens. They throw in a little distortion, which is fun.
1: Yeah, it's fun to just have a good CGI and to be in 2017 and be able to actually make alien-looking aliens. Yeah. So I appreciated their alienness and they the were. fact that we couldn't
0: communicate with them. Um, and again, I, you know, I appreciate that they—they're discussing protocol for first contact. This is a
1: thing; <laughs> it happens. Uh, yes, this was not a uh, prime directive situation. This was a first contact situation because I guess they already gave away the fact that they were from space. <laughs> right. <laughs>
0: uh, we also find out that Saru can run 80 kilometers an hour.
1: Yeah, advantages to constantly being afraid your entire life. I guess so. He's like
0: a gazelle. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So after this, we get some Klingon plot. The the admiral has been captured, right? And and, and, uh, Lorel is talking to Cole about how she wants to be useful to his organization, uh, which I'm sure is some sort of ruse. 'Cause that's what she does.
1: Yeah, I can't believe one word out, out of her mouth, even throughout this entire episode, even though I think her motives were revealed, I still don't know if her motives were revealed. I don't yeah. trust anything out of her.
0: I mean at a certain point that gets tedious, but so far I just kind of like it. That it's kept us a little off balance and it's made it hard to guess what she's gonna do next. It's true. The wild card. Yep. And so she volunteers to interrogate the Admiral. Yeah. Because she's an
1: interrogator. <laughs> she's a spy, an assassin, a liar, an interrogator. Not all a the tailor. good qualities. Not a tailor, though. What if she is? I mean, she does have a really nice Klingon she outfit She does have there. the nicest
0: outfit, yeah. 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 Maybe she dabbles in tailoring. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> Just a humble tailor. <laughs> so she starts interrogating the Admiral and says she wants to defect.
1: Pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah. she jumped right to the chase
0: here. Yeah, I guess so.
1: First, she asks a question about how the Federation treats its prisoners. Again, I don't know if this is a ruse, but I guess it's supposed to introduce the concept that maybe she doesn't like the Klingon system and wants a little revolution. Maybe she's worried about Ash. Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) What will happen to him? Good point. (laughs) She has now changed alliances twice in ten minutes, and so I guess they decide to escape. It's kind of a sketchy escape plan, but... Yeah, the plan is she has a ship on board, the ship. Uh And she knows the ship, uh, like the back of her hand knows all the secret ways to get to this place, except that she runs into literally Cole and his guard walking down a hallway. (sighs)
1: Yeah, her spies really messed up here. Her you'd spies think, could have helped out. You'd think she'd know where he is, at least. Ay, yeah, yeah, And it's a big ship, too. The chances. So I think what we have to infer is Cole was on to her or something I, like that. I think so. I mean, he says that later. So yeah. he was probably on to her by that But point. then again, he's the kind of guy that would say that just to save his reputation. So yeah. you don't know if you can believe him
0: either. So L'Rell and the Admiral start fighting, which I, I didn't know at this point if this is like a fake fight. Are they like, oh, we're... Who knows? I wasn't escaping. We were fighting. Yeah, this was just you know the
1: fake Kirk fight. They're yeah, gonna hit each other with two fists for a couple times. I figured the Klingon would make it look good, and the I figured the admiral would get knocked out. but right. But she uh, threw her up against I a power conduit. Did
0: not anticipate her getting electrocuted to death. I guess she's. Dead? I mean, I heard of that she's knocked out and <laughs> dying? I don't so, know. So So then I guess that wasn't a ruse. <laughs> so then I have no idea what's going on. And then Lorel drags her into the the body room, the uh funeral room, I guess. I think it's just where we keep the bodies. It's the body room. Well now you it had it right first. Because I mean, like the opening scene was them entombing uh one of the one of the original Klingons.
1: And oh, so I think right. the point
0: of that scene was she's like they're not. They're not honoring their dead anymore. They're just kind of hurling bodies into this room. We're falling behind. We should be putting them into the casket
1: and floating right. them out onto the hull. And sticking right.
0: them to the hull. Like, why sp- yes. have a ship made of bodies if you're not going to keep sticking more bodies up? Excellent point. Right? Um, yeah, obviously this Klingon society is falling apart. So then at this point, I'm like, well, maybe she actually does want to defect because she seems very offended by this she vows to
1: get back at cole yeah. for killing what we assume are her friends even though she yelled out a bunch of names <laughs> but i didn't recognize any of the names yeah. um I yeah I have to spend some time on memory alpha <laughs> she is discovered by cole she is and i
0: thought he would just have her executed kind of on the spot yeah. yeah um but i guess she gets drug off somewhere yeah to be interrogated <laughs> i don't know that's ironic I am interested in what happens to her. I'm just really confused at this point. <laughs> Me too. Like, if they're, it seems like they're trying to give us a sympathetic character on the Klingon side,
1: and I'm okay with that. She yeah, seems, yeah. she seems likeable enough, except for how she beat up Ash. But that relationship, is who, a knows little, who knows what's going on there?
0: Yeah. And but I feel like they started out making her totally not trustworthy in any. Like she changes alliances in every episode. It's been at least seven months. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, I don't know where okay. they're going with that. Yeah. I like that. I like that I don't know where it's going.
1: Okay. The Klingon soap opera has yet to be concluded. <laughs> yep. Klingon Game of Thrones.
0: But that's, but that's the Klingon
1: plot in this episode. <laughs> very good. Very good. All right. Back to this mysterious planet. Back uh, to the mysterious planet. Saru, who has been in pain this entire time, finally gives in to the suffering and allows the planet to invade his brain, basically. It looked pretty yeah. bad. Yeah. It went into his brain and I guess it gave him peace. This is a hostile takeover. We've seen this in Next Generation when this happened to Troy and oh, yeah, Data. Totally. You know, this yep. is this is a
0: takeover. But he really seemed happy in the beginning. He did. <laughs> um, and so he's off talking to the local plants or whatever. And um, uh, Michael and Ash have a little conversation about uh, you know what are you going to do after the war? I guess is the oh the trope. yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> we uh, have our little relationship and, moment. It's and good. Ash says he's going to go hang out on Lake Shasta. Yes, which uh, Shasta. Like he, he's betraying his Washington heritage. Totally is a our problem with he this. Is a, yes, and confirmed. It, confirmed a spy. No yeah. Seattleite would go hang out on Lake Shasta. It's too far. Way too far. We have other lakes. You go Do to they, those. lakes. Can you even get lift to there? No, I don't think so. So definitely a spy. Probably not even a real Seattleite. And then they make out, which seems a little inappropriate for a first contact situation. Like, what if the aliens walk in?
1: I found it a little strange that the <laughs> <laughs> electronic, light, cupor- non-corporeal aliens had tents. But yeah, we're uh, in a tent with oh a little—that's yeah. um, kind of weird. Yeah, yeah, with a little quartz glowy fire. It's very romantic, <laughs> and yeah, it's, it's very inappropriate between two staff members of Starfleet. I mean, but, that
0: definitely. But we know. saw it coming, so well, sure. I mean, it's not that big a surprise. It happened in the time loop. It was going to happen again, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> oh, so I guess at this point we actually go back to the D plot of uh and, and tilly are talking
1: yeah Stemitz is back to his grumpy episode one or episode what three self. yeah
0: yeah i guess so um because he's feeling disoriented after jumps
1: yeah it looks pretty bad he's he's crossing his realities or something yeah it's not a clear people's backstories or timelines <laughs> i don't know he only had one line but i'm inferring a lot about this it seems like pretty bad effects from the star drive i mean you can't do this for much longer (laughs) right it's obviously taken its toll
0: right and it's not just the not just the drive but also he's got the tardigrade dna and that who knows what that's doing to him
1: right because that's unlocked all these weird potentials as we saw in the last episode too so i mean he's not he's not
0: afraid of light yet so that's a good sign and he could go full full geordie at any moment
1: And we find out he's not telling the doctor because he's decided that that would put the doctor in a no-win situation where if he tells Starfleet, Stemmets is going to get taken away. He'll feel terrible about that. If he doesn't tell Starfleet, then he's
0: betraying his duty and he'll be court-martialed himself. And this, of course, kind of ignores the obvious option of tell Lorca, who will tell him to keep going and take full responsibility for, you know, whatever.
1: Yeah, but this feels more like a personal guilt and not so much a chain of command kind of guilt. Like right. you still caused the right. action to happen. <laughs> and so Tilly says, "I'll help you because I help everyone on board who uh-huh. needs help." And she I doesn't. Guess, she doesn't really, though. Well, she's going to keep a log of his incidents. Oh, and, that's fair. Okay, you know, documentation. Yeah. It's the first that, step.
0: Everyone. That's important. <laughs> you know, I, I was wondering. Uh, whatever happened to the guys with the black badges? Did they just have them out because there were prisoners on the ship? Hmm. We'll have to get some good side stories there. Yeah, we just haven't gotten
1: to see much of that, huh? The Section 31 theory. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, someday we'll find out, I guess. Yep. Well, things aren't going well on the planet. Saru has completely lost his mind. Yeah, and is telling them that they need to
0: stay on the planet?
1: Yeah, because everything that we're trying to seek through exploration and diplomacy (laughs) can just be achieved on this planet with its stupid tents and trees. I mean, (laughs) I'm sorry, but if I live in a world with replicators and flying spacecraft, I'm not going to be content in your little tents.
0: Right, obviously. I mean, and this is a at this point, we're still assuming this is a, like an alien invasion, uh, alien mind control plot. And, and, then we, and then we start to stray into uh, another great Star Trek trope, which is the the stay with us forever trope, which, like, <laughs> I swear to God, every third episode of the original series, they would go to some planet, meet something there that was like, no, you have to stay forever. And in those
1: episodes, usually Kirk overthrows the society. Yeah. That's how it ends. He or, says, your society is stupid.
0: Let me show you the way. Or talks their computer to death.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I was curious if we were just going to end up breaking the giant crystal at the end of this. Oh, yeah. But it's not how it shook out.
0: Uh, no. No, it actually... Bit of a twist, I would say. You think so? I
1: would say it was a twist. I did not see the person who we've been told repeatedly is a gazelle slash prey animal <laughs> going full Hulk smash mode. Uh,
0: <laughs> I did not realize that he could Hulk smash as well as run fast. Oh, we got the cool run scene, though. We did. Yeah, he it's was cool. uh, galloping through the forest. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> this is terrible. We're going to make these stupid jokes the rest of <laughs> How does yep. he get onto the bridge so fast? <laughs> wonder how high you can jump oh
0: that's a good yeah. one it's not how high you can go it's how far can you fall that's a good point <laughs> <laughs> so yeah uh he and he and michael have a pretty good fight back and
1: forth yeah michael was actually able to contact the discovery or she was just about she had just established
0: communications yeah. and she totally failed at vulcan krav maga there
1: yeah but i said he had really long limbs yeah. And fighting a really tall person like that yeah. that's got to be tough Yeah, especially with those kicky legs. That's true. If you can run fast, you can Mm -hmm. kick fast. He kicked a lot. He did. Yep. Yeah, Michael did not have a good chance in that fight, which is interesting (laughs) because he does look kind of wimpy in the show, so it's kind of good to know that he can hold his own
0: in a fight. That's true. I don't know, man. You ever fought, like, a deer? They're tough. I've never fought a
1: deer. Tell me more.
0: I mean, I haven't personally fought a deer, because that seems like a bad idea. Oh, good, yeah. But
1: I'm familiar with deer
0: fighting, and (laughs) it can be pretty brutal. (laughs)
1: see the other youtube channel for that <laughs> oh but golly she finally gets to the phaser and is able to stun him and he took a bunch of stuns talking about being a tough person you know
0: i wonder if she dialed it down a little yeah I maybe guess it has like a, a super a super light like annoy setting oh god
1: <laughs> well he took like three hits and he was still I upright
0: i i thought he was i thought that was again back to the you know possessed by an alien you become pretty much uh, unstunnable by phasers well, I think that's more the zombie motif, right? That's mm. where the
1: alien's truly controlling you. Mm-hmm. And I, I like that theory and everything, but I don't think it pans out here because he says later on that he was freaking out because he was happy
0: kind of for the well, first that, time. That's, that was the twist, I thought, was yeah. that it wasn't like a possession thing. It was they actually did just, you know, gave him peace, and he was so compelled by that that he wanted to sabotage the mission. Yeah, I guess the other evidence
1: for this is that Ash, it seemed, was able to communicate with them just fine, because he did a little transporter trick.
0: That was interesting. With their help that there. That was interesting, so he yeah. he turned a little bit of energy himself. And, you know, this is kind of a classic Star Trek dilemma they brought up here, too, which is that they've got this uh, planet, and they're willing to help, and they're able to help. Yeah. But Saru has an excellent point that, you know, if the Klingons find out, right. they would pretty much just destroy the planet.
1: Yeah, so this is the problem. We thought, or Michael thought, that she was negotiating to get the planet to help Starfleet. Right. When we find out, when this is all resolved, when the Discovery comes and saves them, that, in fact, the planet has plans of its own.
0: So the planet sends out uh, signals to the Klingons and the Federation to bring them to the planet so they can uh, negotiate. I guess.
1: And it's a really powerful signal, and they're only sending it on two frequencies, Klingons
0: and the Federation, so we know what's up. Do you think the planet is just gonna pull some, like, magic thing and, like, beam the captains down and then they have to learn to communicate or something? I'm taking it so far at face value that this planet, which is kind of funny to be
1: talking in these terms, (laughs) that the planet is a naive planet. Perhaps it's a young planet. I guess that's
0: the question. Does the planet know what it's getting itself into?
1: Yeah, this is like episode one, two, and three of Enterprise, where you go out in the galaxy with good (laughs) intentions, but then you very quickly find out you need to have phasers and shields up pretty fast. Right, right. Perhaps this planet just throwing these two species together is not going to end well.
0: I mean, either it is incredibly naive, or I don't know exactly what its plan is. <laughs> and <laughs> Is I, the planet smarter than us? Maybe. <laughs> we'll find out. I mean, they are... it is a planet-sized energy being that can teleport people around and contact deep space, so... Wouldn't that be fun, though, if it does become, like, a Q-level
1: entity where it does actually manifest all these powers and is able yeah. to control things?
0: It would turn into a very classic Star Trek something very quickly uh, if it did, you know, the bring, bring the two enemies, uh, overpower them, and then they have to work together. I think there was even an episode of the original series like that with the Klingons. <laughs> 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 One thing, um, something about Ash that I think is interesting is if they really are doing the plot line, they kind of said this in advance they're going to do, it's going to be kind of about him dealing with PTSD, which they have addressed and talked about it a little bit, and I feel like if they, if it turns out he's a spy at this point, that will all be kind of distastefully frivolous. Is this him
1: just being the best actor on the planet? Or are we all just being foolish and (laughs) thinking he's a spy and this is all legitimate and we're being terrible to this guy who pretends to be from Seattle?
0: That would be an interesting plot. I've said all along that I hope he's not a spy because that seems too predictable. Come on, Ash. Reveal yourself. (laughs) (laughs) You're too good. (laughs) Take a blood test already. (laughs) We developed a lot of plot. We got a surprisingly well-developed alien planet and developed some characters. Yeah. Learned that Saru is kind of a badass when it
1: comes to fighting. Apparently. Yeah. Good to know. Watch out for those tall, lanky ones. (laughs)